The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can all be together. We are the body of Christ. We share a lot of different things. We share needs and hurts and sorrows, and we share joys and victories and all kinds of things. This morning, Lord, we want to talk about the victory that we have in Christ because of the things that you've provided for us. And it's all about you, Lord. You're our creator. We didn't ask to come to the planet. You allowed us to be here at this point in history. And Lord, you've saved us. You've come into our hearts. You've changed us. And you continue to change us. And now this morning, as we look into this incredible word of God, we just pray that you'll minister to us, you'll show us things, you'll correct us, you'll encourage us. Most of all, Lord, we know that you love us. So we thank you and we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Top of your lesson sheet, it says this. Spirit war with spirit armor equals spirit victory. And the reason for our earthly warfare, we talked about this last week, <clears throat> our worth, earthly warfare with hell is in part preparation for our eternal life in heaven. God has placed the Holy Spirit in an old body, that's called the flesh, our sin-trained brain, so that we will experience spiritual warfare and the victory we can have in Christ that refines the gold of our faith. God's in the process of doing that for us on this planet. There's a verse on the screen. I'd like you to read it out loud with me together. Will you read it with me? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The old, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What Paul is saying there is that we're saved to save others. I always thought, well, gee, it would be kind of neat if you just became a Christian and went directly to heaven, right? So to stay here and to fight the battles, that's got to have an eternal purpose. And, 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 and the more that I think about that, the more I realize that we're not only here to grow in our faith, we're here to reproduce. Adults reproduce. Mature Christians reproduce. And that's very important. And last week we saw that God's eternal plan was to allow the devil, wickedness, all kinds of suffering to prevail in order to prove that there really is only one God because a God is allowing himself to be tested and challenged to prove that he's really real. So that what happened with the devil in the, hev in the heavens a long time ago won't ever happen again. Because those now who are in heaven have all been tested and we have been tested and we're going to know God is the only God that exists. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaiah 43 also tells us something important. And that's a chapter, by the way, that I mentioned that would be great if you read it because it gives you the big picture. Here's a couple of verses from that chapter. It says, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my sight. You are honored, and I love you. I like that. 
everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory. We just sang a worship song that expresses what we're going to do in heaven for God's glory. <clears throat> the bottom line is we're going to have no trouble giving God glory when we get to heaven and see everything more fully in terms of what he's done for us. Amen? We're going to have no, no problem. So God's part of that. And last week we looked at the plan, and this week we're looking at some action steps to fight the good fight of our faith. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, 14 to 20. Let me read it for you. I'm going to start at verse 13. Therefore take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with a preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. <clears throat> and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in opening my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. <coughs> oh, brother, I can't do that. <coughs> I'm sorry, I've been fighting a cold this week a little bit. So I hope it will be okay this morning. <clears throat> you and I have a lot to contend with, don't we, on the planet. Jesus promised us, he said, you know what? It's a promise you may not like. <coughs> but he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. Great promise, huh? You're going to have trouble. It's not going to be easy all the time. There's going to be some tragedy. There's going to be some illness. There's going to be some temptation. There's going to be some persecution. The persecuted church, there were more people <clears throat> martyred for their faith in the 20th century than all the centuries before combined. There's some people who are really suffering today. But spirit armor is how we overcome this. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So look at number one in your, in your outline this morning. Paul says, <coughs> Paul says, be unshakable in the word. It's the belt of truth. And I think it's the most important piece. Would you read this verse with me on the screen? It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And then David goes on and says, that's how you plant yourself by a stream of water and bring forth fruit in the right time. So feed your soul. Feed your soul on the word. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 15, 16, he says, I found God's word and I ate it. And it became a part of my spiritual selves. 
then Joshua, God told him, says, I want you to be careful to do according to all my word. I want you to be careful to do according to all my word. And then you will make your way successful and prosperous. So there's a couple of things about that. The word all is very important because some people do some of God's word, but a true believer with a desire and a heart to really follow and obey God, they have a heart to do it all. And there's a couple of things. You don't want to change God's word. You want to do it all. You don't want to pick and choose. You want to accept what's there. Don't change what the Bible says just to suit your own personal desires. There was a man who I hired before I had left my church in San Diego a few years back. Seemed like a great guy, youth pastor. He took over after I resigned and left, and about five or six years after that, he developed a doctrine of universalism. And people began in the body to discern that something wasn't quite right. (coughs) Sorry. (coughs) People that would counsel with him, um, he would tell them if they were concerned about their relatives that were lost and all. He said, well, eventually, everybody goes to heaven. Well, a lot of the elders and people in that church that obviously were strong believers knew that there was a problem, and they had to fire him. His wife divorced him. It's not a pleasant time. Kind of shook up the body. It shows us how important staying tight, close to the word is. Psalm 1911 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. It's important. And if you really want to be steadfast, which is our goal as believers, then Paul says you need to take everything captive to the obedience of Christ. You need to examine everything carefully. You need to test the spirits. (coughs) Because all the spirits that are out there are not from God. People speak by different spirits. And it says, Paul, I mean, John says, and many false prophets have gone out in the world. You know, when I was a kid, it was Ozzie and Harriet, right? Leave it to Beaver. The cartoons were Daffy Duck, and I could, I could mimic all cartoon characters. The little kids at the home, you know, I said, talk like Daffy Duck. I won't do that this morning. But it's changed, hasn't it? Even the cartoons have changed. You know how much warfare and violence and, and all of that and conflict you're seeing in cartoons today? Amazing. Got to be a little careful. It's a different world. Facebook says there's 51 gender distinctions. Now, if you test the spirits and you read God's word, how many are there? Two. God said, I made them. Male and female. <clears throat> that's, just, that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's out there. Even parents now with their very young children and saying, it's up to them to decide what sex they are. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. It's strange. Jesus promised. He says, things are going to go from bad to worse in the last days. It's going to be like the days of Noah. 
Some people say, well, the gospel's pretty narrow. I said, well, that's kind of interesting because only one family got saved in Noah's day. The rest of the planet got annihilated. That's pretty narrow. And the reason it's narrow is because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God, God knows exactly what he's doing. You can either believe God or you can believe Facebook. And if, if we don't take every thought captive, you can't just let thoughts run around in your head. You've got to grab them, look at them, examine them, test them, and say, is this what God's word says? And if you don't know, then you go to the Bible and you find out. You do your homework. You study. So to be unshakable, you have to become mighty in the world. word. God, uh, some people say to me, well, Charlie, how long does it take to become a mature Christian? I'm going to tell you, if you become a brand new believer and you're, you're older, let's say you're in high school, college, or an adult, probably to become a mature believer, if you stay on the path, it takes a couple of years. Because you can really grow in your faith. You can really get in the word. That's all I did. I just started in Matthew chapter 1. I just started reading after I became a Christian. And pretty soon, God's word changes you day by day. And Jesus, by the way, prays for us. In John 17, his great priestly prayer, he says, you know, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Because thy word is what? Truth. Set them apart. That's what sanctify means. Set apart believers in the truth. The Bible is truth. That's why this is probably the most important piece of armor. So the key is here, feed your soul. Number two in your outline, practice right living. Practice right living. <clears throat> Righteousness is your breastplate. There's a verse on the screen. Let's read it together. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now, what John is saying here is righteousness is a pattern of life. It's a lifestyle. If you become a true Christian, you don't want to do the style of how you lived in the past. You want to grow and change and put off stuff, the garbage, and you want to put on the things that God has given you. You want to learn how to practice righteousness. We fail at it all the time, but we're failing less as we grow. We're more successful in practicing, but it's practice, and that's why God says, I'm leaving you here. Even Jesus prayed just a couple of verses ahead of this one. He says, don't take my believers out of the world. Just keep them from the evil one. I want them to stay here. I want them to go through this. I want them to learn. I want them to grow. I want them to know me in a different way, in an experiential way. 1 John 3.8 says, the one who practices sin is of the devil. So if we have a lifestyle that's constantly anti-God, rebellious to God, going in another direction, doing all kinds of garbage and stuff like that, God says, that person's not of me. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, you can jot this down, it says, don't be deceived, Paul says. Fornicators, 
broad term for all sexual relationships outside of marriage, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Because that's their lifestyle. Do you want all the stuff that's evil and bad on this planet being part of heaven? Yes? No. God's going to separate all that. <clears throat> he did that with Noah. He did that at the Tower of Babel. He's done it all through history in different ways. The next verse after that verse in Corinthians, Paul says, and such were some of you. You did live like that. You did do those things. But Jesus came into your heart. You gave your life to him. Now you want to follow him. And now you want to practice doing what's right. That's a good thing. I had a Bible teacher in Biola, and a great school, by the way, a little far from here. But he would always say this statement from time to time as he was lecturing. He says, it's never right to do wrong to do right. You want to say that with me? It's never right to do wrong to do right. And I, I've, I've used that over the years for different things. And as a young parent, one of the things I thought is, hey, anger is really good. You can, you can get some things across to your kids. And I kind of thought, well, maybe it's kind of a, you know, I didn't beat him up or anything like that. I just said, being really tough and being firm like my dad was with me, I, says, I said, I kind of thought of anger as a tool. Um, then I read James 1.20, which says, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. I said, oh, I've been doing this wrong. Anger is not a tool. There are different ways of discipline and so on. I think in marriage counseling, sometimes I say to, to the, the couple who really wants to do something about it, I said, just do what's right. Never do wrong in a marriage to try to get another person to do the right thing. Just do the right thing consistently. And they will look at your life, and they will look at your life, and they will look at your life and say, you know, maybe I should be doing that. So it's, it's an important principle, very important. Praise and please God. Obey, obey him, and that's what doing right's all about. I really want to honor God in what I'm doing with my life. I want to do the right thing so that the other people are encouraged to do the right thing and maybe ask questions, and maybe I can share my faith with them. You know those two uh, guys that build houses? that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. He concludes the sermon with it. He did three chapters of teaching, and then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, there were two people, they both heard what I said. But one obeyed, and one didn't obey. The one who obeyed was building his house on a what? A rock. Yes, Jesus is the rock, but this context, the rock is obedience. The other guy heard the same exact thing, but he didn't do it. And Jesus said, that person built his house on the sand. 
And when the storms and the problems and the persecution, the trials, the difficulties, the heartaches, even the tragedy of life come, your house is going to stand if you've been obedient to God's word. Amen? It's the way it works. If we're not obedient, then we're tearing the house down. So God says, that's what I want you to do. John MacArthur makes kind of an interesting statement. I've, I've taught and, and worked under John for, in the past. And he just said this. He said, because there was a gal who had some real trouble in her Christian life. She was doubting herself a lot. He said, you know, you can't measure your Christian life by your failures. You measure your Christian life by how deep your desire is to follow Jesus. Isn't that good? You can't measure your Christian life where you're, we're all going to fail. Man, have I failed. And, but I'm still, I'm still at it. I'm here. God's left me alive. I still want to serve him. And my desire is to be a pure person, to be a good person, to practice righteousness. And you know what? I still mess up. God says, you know, I can fix that. A neat verse in Jonah, you can jot this one down, Jonah 4.1, because what did Jonah do? God says, I want you to go to the most ruthless, brutal nation on the face of the earth, and that was Nineveh. They were Chaldeans. They were known for their horrendous way of living. And Jonah says, I'm not doing that. That scares the heck out of me. I'm not doing that. God says, hmm, let me prepare something for you. And after all that took place, in Jonah 4.1, it says, God came to Jonah a second time. Isn't that neat? God gives second chances and second chances and second chances. So we don't measure our life by our failures. Look at Peter. <clears throat> Gee, he, deni he denies Jesus three times, and at the end of that, when Jesus raises from the dead, says, Peter, let's get it straight now. You're going to follow me. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, and you're going to do some special things. That's cool. So God is always in the restoration business. And so if you see a brother or sister falling or goofing up or doing the wrong things, go to them kindly. Be firm. I had two elders that decided to have affairs. One guy repented. Another guy did not. The guy that repented, it took about three, three, four months. And the whole body, I finally had to tell the whole church what was going on. And I said, it's up to you now to pray for so-and-so. Because we want this brother saved, right? We want the lost sheep in that context found. So it's important. Sometimes you think, well, I've blown it so bad at plan A, God's only got a plan B for me. And I refer them back to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which says God causes or God can create, since he's a creator, God can create all things together for good if you love God and you're called according to his purpose. Because nothing is static with God, not with a creator anyway, right? You know what? We're all going to be able to sit in the bleachers, those of us who knew Christ, and we're going to watch God destroy the old heaven and earth and create a new one. We weren't there at the beginning, but we're going to be there at the end. And I don't think we're going to be sitting in the bleachers either. 
I think somehow God's going to use us in this whole plan of, of cleansing the universe and <clears throat> giving us a, a whole new, fresh, holy, pure situation to spend eternity with. That's a big subject, but it's fun. God can create a new plan A. Number three in your outline. Share, share the good news of peace. Those are your boots. That's part of your armor. Now we've got, a, we've got the truth. That's a belt. That's where everything connects. We've got the breastplate. That's your, your bulletproof vest, right? Now we've got boots to put on, and boots are ready to march. <clears throat> Soldiers don't take a nap with their boots on. If the boots are on, we're going to the front line. So would you read the verse with me on the screen, please? Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. So it's a joy to tell others about Christ. It really is. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who spread the good news. So just be ready. Be prepared. People say, well, how do I kind of break into things? How do I, how do, I do this? How do I start? Well, we'll be talking about that. One of the ways is just to, a little phrase that a, a fellow out in California used to quite often says, find a need and meet it. Or find a hurt and heal it. So if you're at home, you're at work, you're with a neighbor, you're whatever, just find a need and meet that need. And pretty soon that will start opening doors of relationship and make it much easier for you to just communicate what God's done for you and what God can do for them. Jesus clearly said in John 17, that prayer, he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. I'm sending you. You're a sent one. And your mission field and mine is wherever we are. Because I'm not where you are during the week, and you're not where I am. So wherever I am, that's my mission field. So I need to share the words of the gospel because I want to make the gospel clean and clear because I don't think just sharing a lot of things about religion and stuff like that makes a whole lot of sense to people most of the time. Share the words of the gospel. Paul says, Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The words of the gospel are the power of God to save a person from hell and get them to heaven. But they're the words. The words. They're not mystical words. My neighbor tried to play, pray a mystical prayer. He says, Charlie, it didn't work. Well, it didn't work for him because there was a lot of ego in his life, and he just wanted to do something mystically and think something would automatically happen. No, he needed to give his heart to God, and honestly, he just wasn't willing to do that. But I shared the words of the gospel with him. How many of you know John 3.16? Okay, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How many of you know Romans 3.23? You, you know it, you just don't know the reference maybe. Okay. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many of you know John 14, 6? A few less hands. You know this one too. I am the way, right? 
the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. A little harder one. Revelation 3.20. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice, I will come into him and eat with him. That's my translation. <laughs> Folks, that's the gospel. It's not hard to share that. And you know, it is so easy to kind of weave that into your own personal testimony. If you prepare a, a one or a two minute testimony, write it out, kind of what God did in your life and how he actually saved you. And you can say, you know, I realized, and this is true for me, I realized God did love me. And I realized that I had a sin problem, even as a nine-year-old. I, I remember hitting my sister in the stomach when I was five. I said, even that one would send me to the other place. And I got really punished for that one. My mom says, don't throw those, don't throw those logs on the porch. And I said, eh. The next one went right through the window. I mean, we know when we're doing wrong things. All of us could try to jump across the Grand Canyon. Some of us would jump further, but none of us would jump across. That's what sin does. You can't get there. John 14, 6, Jesus is the way. There's a bridge. There's a there's something, there's a whole different thing. This chasm is too big. And I realized that. Jesus Christ did come to earth. He did tell me the truth. When I read a little bit in the Bible, I see how much he loved people and cared about people. And, man, I want that Jesus in my heart. That's what I want. But i got to make a decision. Because all my Catholic friends that I grew up with knew those first three things but they hadn't done the fourth thing, and that was to give your heart to Christ because he's knocking on the door of your heart and he wants to come in. That picture of Jesus knocking on the door, that famous picture, if you look at it very carefully, there's no outside handle. The person on the inside has to open the door, and he knocks gently. Now, I just took about maybe a minute and a half to tell you what the gospel is, and I use the words of the gospel, the scripture. Listen, folks, it is so easy. There's nothing to be afraid of. If we're afraid, then it's kind of like that guy who got the talents and didn't do anything with them. Jesus said, you're not a good guy. We're salt and light. Jesus says, get the word out. Share your faith. Get the God. It's a fun thing to do. And you know what? I tell people all the time, he says, we're only looking for the hearts that God has prepared. So if somebody's not interested, that's not my problem, and I don't have to, I'm not going to twist anybody's arm. I'm not going to gimmick them and some pray and some prayer. I want to see a heart, and if the heart is prepared, I start moving a little bit into their life. In fact, when I, about three weeks ago, I was going to Seattle, flew to Seattle to drive my son's, my third son's truck and pull his car and pull it to Kansas City because they're moving. I said, you need to go with your wife and two little kids, and you can fly there, and I'll drive. Oh, brother. Three days of 600 miles. I left early the, the morning of Tuesday. I'm driving. 
And all of a sudden, after about two hours, I'm in the mountains of, of Washington. The, 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 the big truck just jolts. I look in the side mirror, and there's a huge tire burning in the back of the tra trailer that I'm pulling the car with. And I'm saying, i got to get off. So I just got off. I'm going up this. I said, man, this is quite a steep exit. And so I get up to the top. I look at my phone. i got no service. I said, nobody's going to see me up here. I'm going to die up here. And I said, I'm just starting out on this trip. Lord, what in the world are you doing? Why do we have to have a busted tire? And it, it bent the fender on the, the trailer and everything else. I said, I got to go back to the freeway. And I went to the freeway. I drove another two miles, finally got service, called the truck company. They sent somebody else out in about an hour. He was not real happy. But he changed the tire and the rim. Then he looked at it. And he says, there's only three lugs on this tire. He says, they're not going to let you drive this. You got to come to the shop. <sighs> shop. So I'm driving to the shop, following him all the way into this next town. He, nice guy, starts getting. We start talking and all this, and finally we get this whole thing fixed. <clears throat> and in the conversation, I just say, and I do it a lot. I just do it a lot. It's a very simple thing to do. I said, you go to church anywhere. It's the easiest door opener I've ever found. Because you know people aren't offended by that. They don't. You know, but it tells me something. He said, you know what? I'm a Mormon, but I'm not practicing my faith at all. I said, you know what? I just, a while back, witnessed to my Mormon neighbor who was a Mormon priest. He wasn't practicing his faith either. But after he received Jesus Christ into his heart, he said, you know what, Charlie? I have always felt God around me as a coat, but I've never felt him inside. He had the experience of religion he believed in God, all of that. But he never knew how to become a Christian. And once he did, he realized the Holy Spirit had come into his life. Wow. And I said to this guy, I said, you know, I forget his name now. I, I can't remember it. But anyway, I just said, you know, and I went right back to my truck in my briefcase. It's one of these little books that I'm going to pass out to anybody who wants them this morning as long as I, well, whatever's left there. I've used these little things for 50 years. 50 years at least, because it's a simple, clear presentation of what I just gave you a minute ago. Little couple more verses, kind of helps a person decide where they really are, and there's a prayer, and so on, and I like to read it with them, but I, this guy's so busy, I said, you know, I'm just going to give this to him. I'm going to say what, what God can do in your life. He says, I'm going to read that. He says, I'm interested in that. Well, I guess, Lord, that's the reason for the flat tire. Frank was telling us last Monday night in Bible study, which is meeting here tomorrow night, by the way, at 7 o'clock, you're all invited. He was saying, you know, I, I'm driving down the street here, and there was a guy with a teeny little chainsaw trying to cut a big tree. Frank, as you know Frank, he always helps everybody, got a chainsaw on the back of the truck, goes down the road, turns around, comes back, cuts the truck, and I said, Frank, after you got all that done, he said, you, did you invite him to church? He said, yes, sir. Well, that's what we do. You don't know what's going to happen in a day, right? I don't either. We just don't know. But God knows. Okay? Number four, moving along, protect yourself with faith. This is not hard. Very, very important, but not hard. Because trust or faith is your shield. So read this verse, and I'm sure you all know it. Let's read it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. So you say, well, this is a shield of faith. Yeah, that's right. But faith in who? Not faith in yourself. Not faith in somebody else. It's faith in God that becomes your shield. And it's faith in what God has said in his word that becomes a strength to you when you're firing, fighting all the firing missiles that, 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 that Paul says is coming from the devil from time to time. Jesus in the desert, he quoted scripture. And you know what he said at the beginning of the quote? It is written. It is written. It is written. And who wrote that book? He did. He knew what he wrote. Wrote, wrote, wrote. Jesus said, it's written. It's in black and white. It's the truth. So this is what I will say to you, devil. So take a hike. Take a hike. And that's how we do it. God is the shield. Psalm 33, 20. My soul waits for the Lord. He's my help. He's my shield. <clears throat> Psalm 7, 10. My shield is with God who saves the upright. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 2 Peter 1, he says, God has given you precious and magnificent promises. And he's given you the ability to partake of his very nature because of the Holy Spirit in you. That will help you escape the corruption that's in the world from lust. So you've got a whole Bible here of promises. And if you're tempted, go find a promise. Find a promise. If you're tempted, if you're a worry ward, if you're concerned about so many things, if just things bother you, all, find a promise. Philippians 4. And you, when God gives you one of those temptations or one of those situations where that's part of your character, whatever you want to say it, then you, you find the verse that really targets that, and that's what you write in the front of your Bible or you write in your notes or you put in your cell phone or you do, and when that thing hits, that's where you go. It says, don't be anxious for anything, but pray about everything. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God will what? Guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You've got to go find the promises. They're all over the place. When I worry about finances, I go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, and Jesus says, why are you worrying about your life? Life is so much more than food and clothes and shelter and all of that. I provide for birds, little teeny birds. There's billions of birds on this planet. And God's actually aware of one that dies. If you watch some of those planet things on television, you know, see all those birds flying around? Man, God is just aware. He's, he's too big. That's why the world has such a trouble believing in Jesus. God's just too big. He's too big. But he's our God, right? Promises, promises. Trust God, 100%. It's your shield. Number five, hope in your salvation. That's your helmet. And this simply means, well, read the verse with me. <clears throat> it says, Prepare your minds 
for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? Set your hope. How do you do that? You just look up. Colossians 3. Great chapter. Just all the way through to Colossians 4, uh, verse 6. It's our Christian life right there. And the first thing is, Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Set your mind there. Don't set your mind and affections on the things of the earth. They're going to pass away. If you can put a match to it, it's gone. It'll be burned up. It won't count. God says, I want you to lay up treasure in heaven. I want things that happen in your life to count forever, forever and ever. So keep looking up to God. You're saved. You're heaven-bound. Press towards the mark, like Paul says. Melody and I, we, we left our home in San Diego, Oceanside. Nice place to live. Real nice home that God gave us in a special way. At 5 o'clock one day, when we only had one day to find a house, we're going to come up and plant a church, and, and we just had one day. And I was getting a little discouraged the end of the day, but at 5 o'clock we drove up the street. The, the, the realtor comes out the door, and he says, this house just came back in the market. I said, hmm, cul-de-sac, four bedrooms, all the kids, three-car garage for me. <laughs> Done deal. Here's your money. Hard to leave that house because we knew it was God's house. But then we had to remind ourselves, wait a minute, we're just sojourners on the planet, right? We're exiles. We're exiles on earth eventually looking like Abraham did towards a city that was made by God and not man. So we, we've got to keep that mental perspective. That's part of the, what keeps our helmet on because we're thinking right. The brain is sin-trained. It's got all the stuff here. It's going to die someday. It's going to go to dust. In the meantime, it's what presents temptations to us because it's got it all stored there. Those are patterns that have happened in, in these neurons in our, in our head over the years. Gerhard Dirks, who was a, a founder, one of the founders of IBM and one of the founders of computers, years ago was talking to us. He said, you know what? You put information in the computer, you can't take it out. But you can put new information in there that tells you, before doing that old stuff, try doing the new stuff. Isn't that cool? Our brain's just like a computer. It's got it all stored. God's word, and that's why Paul tells us in Romans 12, 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be, what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind on God's word. That's your helmet. That's your protection. That's your hope. And the more you do that, hope builds and goes forward. And if we don't do that, we start making bad decisions, hope goes down. So the more you do things right, the more you look at God's word and truth, the more you share your faith, the more you use your shield pretty soon, your hope and your salvation just becomes incredibly strong. So that's what we need to do. Number six, we're almost done. Use the word for offense. That's the sword of the spirit. Read the verse with me. <clears throat> now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? What happened on that day? Acts 2. 
3,000 males plus their families got saved. They got saved. Wow. That's how you use the word. Peter just shared the word, shared some things from Joel, shared the things about Jesus, what he did. He'd come. He was the son of God. He died. He rose from the dead. We're here to tell you this. And the guys, their, their heart is prepared, and they're saying, man, we didn't, we didn't get this. We didn't understand. But we want Christ. Bang. That's a lot of people to get saved all at once. And by the time three or four chapters of Acts is done, maybe chapter 6, it says multitudes have received Christ. So use God's word as a, as a weapon of offense however you want to, however you can, whether it's the gospel, whether it's encouragement, whether you're helping somebody, whether you're trying to correct somebody or trying to pull somebody out of a ditch, just use the word. It's powerful. Writer of Hebrews says it's powerful. It'll even get down to the joints of a marrow and, and discern the thoughts and intentions of a heart. It's powerful, powerful. God's words are power. And lastly, what's this one? What do you think this one is? What's it say? Anybody awake? Pray in the Spirit. Okay? Would you read the verse with me? For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support whose heart is I want to read that again for you. Let's do it together. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is completely his. Whew. That means prayer can be really effective when your heart is completely his. God says, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Back in Noah's day, he was looking. He couldn't find anybody else, but he found Noah. He was looking. And God's eyes see everything. In fact, God says in the Bible, he says, I see all the evil and all the good. And I'm thinking that would be a weight to carry, would it not? If I had to see all the evil, and the, I've seen enough. Prayer is a walkie-talkie to God. No batteries. It's always on, 24-7. So you can talk to him. This is a very important piece of armor that covers them all. And one last passage, and that is Matthew 7, 7. Jesus says what? Ask and you receive. Seek and you will find. Knock. Okay. So let me just tell you this. We'll conclude. Prayer, prayer primarily is aligning yourself to God's will. It's not coming up with a grocery list. You can have a grocery list, okay. But that's not primarily what prayer is. What is fellowship? Fellowship is two fellows in a ship. Okay? They're in the same little boat. They're rowing together. They're not against each other and going the same direction. Do you think God knows what he's doing on the planet? Do you think God needs you to do what he needs to do? No. 
but he wants you to join him so that you join God in what he's already planning to do in your life and other people's lives. Join him. That's what prayer does. You are joining with God to discover his will and move in the direction that he's already moving in for you or for anybody else. That's what prayer is, essentially. Coming, that's why Jesus said, Father, I don't want to go to this cross. But what? Your will be done. Prayer is aligning your life, your will, your desires, your whatever there is in your life that you think you need, want to need, or want to do, or don't want to do. And prayer is saying, God, <clears throat> you're the smart one, I'm the dumb one. So I want to give you my whole life. I want to get my heart completely yours, and I want to find out what your will is today and tomorrow. And you are aligning. You're joining God. So you ask, you seek, you knock. Ask means like a little kid. You want your kids to ask permission, right? So if you pray, first of all, you need to ask God for permission. God, I'm coming to you because I want your will. I want you to do the right thing. Number two, seeking is I'm in motion towards God's will. I'm moving like Abraham. Bible says, Abraham, while on the way, after accepting God's direction, God would lead him. And lastly, knocking, you're at the door. And so God says, if, if you ask this way, and if you seek this way, and if you knock this way, that door will open. Rarely is it closed. If it's closed, God's saying, you know, there's a much better thing, or it just may be down the road a little while. But prayer is that alignment, ask, seek, knock. We're moving in God's direction. If you want these pieces of armor in your life, you just have to give your life to Christ. You have to say in your heart, hey, God, I believe this. This has got to be true. Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and I can have him in my heart. So if you're here this morning and that's a decision you can make, make it. Start. Ask. Start by asking. And God will bless you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your very, very powerful word. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much and you're working with us, you're helping us, you're growing us. So, Father, I just thank you for, for you and that we are intended to bring you glory and honor for the rest of eternity. And we can start right today and, and next tomorrow and so on. And, Lord, these armor pieces are yours. They're things from you. They're the way you operate. And now they're available to us. So I pray, Lord, that we'll just get up in the morning, we'll look at these things, and we'll say, hey, this is the kind of person I want to be. This is the, the kind of Christian I want to be. And I want to see others come to Christ through my life. In Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said,